1: Are we ready? I guess not. TCL is a proud sponsor of the
0: Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With
2: Rami. tall, takes a shot toward the end zone. Hasbro. Well. Shoulder grab for a touchdown, his seventh of the season. Duke Thomas in coverage, and we know Rashad can dance.
0: We will, uh we will put the AAF to bed. R.I.P. AAF mm-hmm. later on in the show. Mackie and Joe with Rami, but uh Joe, we found out something about Rami today that I wasn't wasn't sure I knew this. Yeah, Rami is a boor. I
2: am a boor. Jonathan, did you know that Rami is a boor? That he will. Show up to stadiums and boo when will, he's not I didn't pleased. Know that. I will boo professional yeah. athletes. Okay. I'm that guy, and I I know how stupid it is, but I'm that dude. I don't well, think I have a problem with that. Well, let's lay out. So, uh,
0: welcome to the show, and thank you for for listening, Mackie and Joe with Rami, and uh, and we we kick around prep threads and topics before the show, emails back and forth, and you know uh, some hallway discussions and. Jimmy Butler got booed over the weekend. We've got the video on our YouTube channel, if you missed it. Jimmy Butler just getting booze rained down on him. YouTube.com slash ScoreNorth. By the
2: way, props to the Minnesota Timberwolves for playing yourself so vain. Yeah. I- introducing Jimmy first and then letting it linger for a while after you introduced Jimmy <laughs> just Clever. to make sure that the booze really set there's
1: in. Act- there's actually a very interesting backstory there, though. I was a little bit surprised that they did, they did that because they also put out a pregame tweet saying, He's back. Welcome back to Patton, right, Justin Patton? And Phil, do you recall that the Wolves? And it's funny. Okay, so I'm not. Yeah, I'm, not yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that this was bad because it was funny. Uh, But do you recall when Kevin Love came back? Yes, I do. And they did the same thing. And they're like, let's welcome back. And he's back. And they did a tribute video to Mike Miller. That's right. (laughs) And and
0: flip like Kevin Love's first game back after the fallout and everything. He's coming back to the Timberwolves.
1: And and flip Saunders, who had tried to convince Kevin to stay and then traded him, didn't know that was coming and was really upset. Yes. And he's like, we don't operate like that. It's minor league. It's Bush league. It's why we've had problems. And so it, so it surprised me just a little bit, just because Flip was really upset about that. And I thought I thought that they might not do that. Now, good for them, they did. But I found it to be interesting that they went back to that card.
0: But well, flip, the NBA, so flip passes and they decide, oh, well, let's
2: bust that card. I don't think it's just Flip passing, but I think also the, the landscape of the NBA has changed since then. Like the NBA traffics in petty now. That that is largely what the NBA traffics in. When you follow social media and the storylines around the NBA, they traffic heavy in yeah. petty, and I like it. I enjoy it.
0: The NBA is a meme, really. It's yeah. just like one it's like GIFs and memes right. basically. Right. It's one
2: of the things that makes NBA Twitter the best pro sports Twitter in the yeah. world today. Yeah. is the pettiness that surrounds it. It is fun. I love so it. so one of us posed the
0: question. I think it was Judd initially posed. The, and then was it Tavares that got... There John was,
2: Tavares went back and There's a
0: fan. There's a video the of a fan, like, slapping the glass of the uh, penalty box. And <laughs> it, just, like... And the security... So, it's a fan. Yes. And it's not safe for for radio, but uh, it's a fan sitting next to the penalty box. And there's a security guard between the fan and the glass, and then Tavares. And you'd think, oh, man, this is starting to get a little bit aggressive. He's, like, slapping the glass and MFing Tavares. And the security guard's just sitting there
1: laughing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's <yeah, like>, what? <laughs> and to, <laughs> Tavares' first game back there was like three weeks ago, and I'm not joking, as he walked off the ice, an Islander fan hurled an Islander Tavares jersey at him, yeah. and it almost hit him. Now, it wouldn't have hurt him, yeah. but it was still aggressive. Yeah.
0: So... uh so I, don't, I, I go I, that far. Well, I knew that Jeb wasn't a booer. I've got a couple times where I've booed, but mm-hmm. I, I I don't consider myself a booer. And I didn't know you jumped right in and said, oh, oh I'm, I'm a booer. So I'm a
2: booer. <laughs> Tell us about your. your well, first tenants. of all, if it's if it's like if it's just a guy who got traded or left in free agency under normal circumstances. Fine, dude, you go get yours. I have no hard feelings, really. But when it happens in the way that Jimmy Butler orchestrated his exit from the Timberwolves and the state of Minnesota and MF'd him the whole time on his way out of town. I mean, that's that's personal the way that if if you're a Timberwolves fan, he just crapped all over your team. And then left town on bad terms and, and has continued to torment the organization and the star of the organization since he left on the court and in a backhanded way in interviews. So that's that's one instance where I will boo if a guy gets under my skin in that particular but way. do you I want to dig a little deeper on this. Do you boo every time he because, touches the ball like okay. they did on Friday night? Yes. <laughs> well, that was my who have you booed? I don't know if I've been in that particular situation, but I would if I were in that particular situation. I get why Timberwolves fans were booing him every time he touched but the ball. Do you boo as as a matter of personal satisfaction yeah. that no, like, yeah, making this noise because I'm mad at this player makes me pu- feel better? It's purely therapeutic okay. and cathartic for me. I know it has no I know they don't care. Jimmy Butler was smiling about it. Jimmy Butler, oh, he, he likes it. Yeah, it, before he came into town, he was saying, Bring it on. He welcomed the booze. So I know I'm not doing anything to that guy. I'm not hurting him. I'm not I'm not affecting his game at all. It's purely for me. It's it's, just, a, it's
0: a weird noise by the
2: way. Why it isn't, isn't why isn't it a hiss or in Europe they a whistle.
0: shriek? They
1: whistle. They whistle. Yeah, they'll they'll whistle at the end of soccer games if the ref isn't blowing the whistle at the end of stoppage time or if they don't like if someone's delaying the game too much, they'll start whistling and it's it gets obnoxious because the whole stadium will start doing it and you just hear this this loud annoying whistle coming from everywhere in the stadium. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so in Chicago, in Chicago, yeah, at the height of your fandom, were there Cubs players who either uh, weren't playing well, weren't liked, or came back on an
2: opposing team that you booed? I was just going to say the instances where I have booed, and I don't know if it was a particular guy, but I I will the times I boo more often than not. It's it's at the teams that I root for and cheer for and love because they're letting me down, and I'm letting them know. Because I don't know. People talk about, well, I'm just not going to go to the game. Well, things aren't going to get better if you don't go to the game because now, now the bottom line is hurt. They're not going to spend money on players. They're not going to invest in the organization. You're not doing any good if you stop going to the games and stop giving them your time, money, and attention. It's only, it's probably only going to get worse before it ever gets better by not showing up. So I think that the, the best way and I, I've often made the analogy to, to patriotism, the best way to be a fan and the best way to be a patriot and an American is when things aren't going well and you want to see change to speak up, have your voice heard and try and, and make change happen yourself. And that's one instance where I do think it affects the athletes and I do think they hear it is when it's your own fans and your own hometown crowd booing you because you've let them down. Now, if you're Philadelphia and you're booing Bryce Harper after his well, what, yeah. two strikeouts it's in just his become, first game, are, what, you, are you
0: actually mad at Bryce no, Harper? No, that's or are what you're just, supposed it's to do. Just like,
2: okay. You're boo. that obnoxious. Yeah, boos are just white noise in Philadelphia yeah.
0: at this point. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And full beer cans whizzing by your head. It's just you like, guys oh, don't it's do like that? a bird.
2: You guys don't do that? You don't boo your own teams to voice your displeasure?
0: I, no, it, it's definitely a, it, it's a Minnesota fan thing. I think, in fact, there's, all, there, there's a lot of clever... Uh, fan characteristics at other ballparks and I mean Mary Chi Arena used to be very clever. And I almost feel like we've lost our cleverness as Minnesota sports fans in a lot of ways. There's not we don't have jump around like they have at Camp Randall. You know, there's nothing when you go to a twins game Really, the only iconic thing would be besides underwater cam. It's like they boo Joe Mauer when he grounds out to second base, and like that pastime is over now. Yeah. So I almost feel like we need something like booing's all fine and well, but we need something that's a little bit more creative and taunting, and something that's more intimidating for people. Like what
1: they, though? They come in. I don't know. I'd have to. Like what can we do? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe people have ideas of
0: other stadiums and arenas. Because we do things. boo
1: if the wild has a bad period as they go off the ice, they get booed. But it's not. That's not original more fun i feel like the wolves would would get booed if people cared more but yeah we definitely don't have now now i guess my comeback to that is do you only come up with creative things though as things start to go well that aren't booing but are are positive jump around starts but the badgers in football had turned a big corner by then so is this a lack of our creativity or is this a lack of we're just sort of sapped of fun because no one's winning we're just, right now. We're just a bunch of
0: soulless zombies wandering around. But like, if the Twins get
1: good, Ostadio or something might might lend yeah. itself to something.
0: You know, there's been. I'm trying to think of the most influential Minnesota sports self-booing that I can think of, where like you're booing your own team and you're doing it for change, right? I mean, every time I feel like during the the Brad Childress firing season. Every time something would happen, if they went three and out, if they missed a field goal, <laughs> boos would rain down, and it wasn't booing the kicker, your Longwell or whoever the kicker was in 2010. They're booing Brad Childress, like you're booing the team, but on behalf of Brad be Childress. Third and thirteen,
1: right? and they get five
0: yards. Like Tahi would catch up, yeah, swing pass or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Joe Maurer, after the contract he signed, it got to the point where fans started to notice. Oh, he grounds out to second, and he flies out to left. Like, every at-bat is a fly ball to left or a ground ball to second. And so every time he hit a ground ball to second, there was a two- or three-year period where he would get booed fairly, I would say, mercilessly at target field. And then there was kind of like he got injured and got a concussion, and so people kind of backed off of him in the last few years. But,
2: yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I, just, ta- I didn't know you were a booer. I'm not talking about Minnesota at, at large. I'm talking about you two in particular. Yeah. Have no, you- I'm not a booer. Never, not. ever. Not <laughs> in of the circumstances that I just named. There was one
0: instance I remember as a... I think I was a high school kid. Manny Ramirez was playing. Oh, this might have been before that because Manny Ramirez was playing for the Indians. And, um, and he, or no, you know who it was? It was Juan Gonzalez. That's who it was. I, it was a 90s slugger, but it was a guy who was, who was making money. And
1: there, were, there was a guy who did it all
0: clean. What, Juan Gonzalez? Well, Manny Ramirez did <laughs> I know he did. Both those guys. And I remember sitting in left field <laughs> and uh, fans were getting on Juan Gonzalez in left field one day. And he turns around between pitches and, like, digs into his back pocket like he's pulling his wallet out and starts, like, fanning money <laughs>
1: <laughs> Okay, for the cool. cool fans.
0: Like and you. so I did jump into the booing after that because, okay, not only are you hitting home runs off bad twins pitchers, but now you're taunting us poor people in left field, the $4 seats with the millions of dollars that you make.
1: But you were taunting him first, or the fans were, so that's yeah, pretty good, I, actually. It was I like a, that. It was a
0: good back and forth. So I I booed Juan Gonzalez for sure one time heckled you ever heckled well here's another one
1: okay (laughs) aj AJ, i got a feeling there's more here we're gonna find out
0: aj pierzynski comes to town for instance aj pierzynski when he was a player coming in on visiting teams would get booed all the time at target field and at the metrodome like just like as if he was the most hated player in minnesota twins history that dude hit 300 multiple years had clutch hits in the playoffs and then got traded he didn't Sign elsewhere. He got traded. He didn't demand a trade for Francisco Liriano and Joe Nathan and cleared the way for Joe Maurer to catch. And instead of thanking A.J. Pruszynski for his contributions and his value. Yeah, really. That opened up the door. We booed A.J. Pruszynski for the 10 remaining years in his career. It
1: was weird until he spiked Morneau at first base. That was really, really cheap. Okay, but that was... And unnecessary. That wasn't very early on. like We booed him before that, Yeah, yeah. no. Until then, I didn't get it, but that that was bad. Okay, the one in this town, Rami, that I never got, and and it was it was a stereotypical type of boo that you're like, come on, we hated in air quotes hated Derek Jeter, so like Derek Jeter would come to bat and Target Field or the Dome would erupt in booze. It's like, really, you're you're basically playing a stereotype fan. Then you're the symbol of the Yankees. Yeah, I don't like, like that. It's like have a cause at least with AJ. He was good here, and and then you could have deemed him a pain in the behind. Sure. So I'm more with that, but the Jeter one to me drove me crazy because I'm like, you're just playing a role here. There's no genuine hate for Derek. Jeter. So if we
0: could make rules for booing, hmm, what would be? It sounds like you'd have a longer or a shorter list of rules. Like Judd and I would be a little more rule heavy, but what would what
2: would your three rules for for booing be? Um, three rules for booing. Only do it if it's A, personal. Okay. Like it was with Jimmy Butler. B, it's to voice your displeasure with your team. Okay. And I don't even know if I have a third rule. Those are the only two instances. Oh, and don't make it personal. Like if you if you're gonna start heckling, so even if it is personal, you don't have, make you, it personal. You, well, you know what I mean when I say if it's personal. Like yeah, Jim, yeah. even when it's personal line, even when it's personal in the sports sense, it's not personal in a real life sense. Like there, so like leave his family out of it. Leave his family out of it. All that stuff with Russell Westbrook in Utah. Okay. Like it, yeah, just yeah. there. I don't need to tell you where the line is. You know where the line is. Common sense dictates where the line Jimmy is. Jimmy Butler, the line could move. Eh. I
1: mean, you're talking about a first class uh, jerk there.
2: I don't, could I don't think he is. I'm just not a boor. I don't think he's a first-class oh, jerk ahead, just in path general. Path I think he's just he was a first-class jerk to the
1: Wolves. In
0: your booing history, have you ever said something you wish now you could take back?
2: I don't think I have. Okay. I don't think so. There was one game where I I don't I can tell you everything I said, um, and I was heckling I was heckling my own team. I was fr- I was in the first row, second deck, Miller Park, literally right over the Cubs batter's uh on deck circle. And I think it was the last year of the Lou Pinella era with the Cubs, which just went bad fast and just kept getting worse and I was a very unhappy Cubs fan and I was like literally standing over these guys in the yeah. on deck circle and berating them I think I kept it to baseball though like what <laughs> like with what like make sure you sw- just swing away when you get in there don't look at a pitch for crying out loud for God forbid you look at a pitch when you get in the batters box yeah. just get in there and swing away Derek Lee. Derek Lee, that's right. <laughs> so they went they went from Dusty
0: Baker into Lou Piniella, right? Yeah.
1: Something like that. Yeah. That's what's the wonderful era of Cubs baseball. What's the closest, or or perhaps that this line was crossed, have you ever come close to or gotten into a confrontation with a Cardinals fan?
2: No. Never. Because I feel like if... Never in person. I mean, on Twitter, I okay. give them crap all the time. I always felt like person. there was a possibility,
1: the more I thought that this through, because your distaste for the Cardinals yeah, is, no, I won't. is more distaste than I have for, I think any one or team in sports there are,
2: it doesn't it's not just limited to the world of sports there are a few groups or people who i dislike as much as i do the st louis cardinals like they're up there with like isis and cancer <laughs> are they between isis and cancer <laughs> or are they like slightly below isis and cancer let's we'll rank all, them just slightly <laughs> below they're a close third what about a confrontation with a cubs fan you know what not <laughs> You're about to have a confrontation with the Cubs fan. That's what's and about to happen to <laughs> He's a real-life troll. He's <laughs> a oh, real-life troll. He walked out of Twitter and into my life. He's a real-life troll, <laughs> mm, ladies and hilarious. gentlemen. Jonathan Harris. Amazing. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad we got to know each other a little bit better right there. There was one time where I ruthlessly heckled Jeremy Burnitz. <laughs> What does does ruthlessly mean? Like, like not again, not personal, but like I was, I was just unleashing on it. And I remember he actually thought it was at one point. I just hollered, "Hey, Burditts, you stink!" And then I paused, and then I said, "No, seriously, I can smell you up here, (laughs) bleacher." And he thought that he turned around and, and like smirked and laughed at that. But as I'm heckling him, he was just mashing just every time he'd go up to the plate home run and he ended up hitting three home runs and ran and jogged out to right field after his third home run and tipped his cap to me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not like... just shut up so you heckled
1: that. a guy who who hit three home runs that day? yeah yes it must have worked really it's well all-time all <laughs> go and...
0: moment yes uh, we're gonna we're gonna have our first conversation of the season with one of our favorite guests roy smalley will will be back with us when we come back here to the tcl studios on Mackie and Jub with Rami. I think I said that uh, close to correctly. We'll be back, back with us. Back, 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 Chris Berman style. Uh, let's talk about TCL TVs for a moment here. Uh, there's, no, there's no real heckling when it comes to TCL TVs. There's nothing to heckle. They're, they're just amazing. They're like the Jeremy Burnitz versus Rami of TVs. <laughs> just superior 4K picture quality Dolby Vision. Tip your cap to the brand new award-winning lineup of TCL TVs which has the built-in Roku device, giving you endless entertainment options, the most streaming content of any TV, and it brings entertainment to any room in your house. This is the best way to watch all your favorite content, whether you stream it, pay for a cable or satellite subscription, or use the built-in tuner to enjoy free over-the-air channels if you're old school. Uh, The TCL Roku TV makes it easy to toggle back and forth between menu options. You can find TCL TVs inside any major local retailer here in the Twin Cities or go to tclusa.com Roy Smalley will dive into maybe the uh, breakout of Byron Buxton Mackie and Joe with Rami Phil Mackey here from the all-new Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. We've made it easier than ever to find our team-centric Minnesota sports podcast. Wherever you subscribe to podcasts, just search Score North, that's S-K-O-R, and you'll find Score North Vikings, for instance, which includes Purple Daily, Purple Podcast, and Vikings Ventline. Score North Wolves includes Raised by Wolves, Myron Medcalf on hoops, and more. Score North Twins includes Touch'em All, Royce on Baseball, and more, and so on. Just search Score North, S-K-O-R, wherever you find your favorite podcast. All right, Mackie and Judd with Rami, and uh, the the Mackie and Judd portion of this for the last five years, and even before that, I think this was even Roy Smalley uh, on this show has even preceded me on this show. Talking Twins, go, yeah. Uh, Judd and Dubé days, yeah. but Roy Smalley from Fox Sports North, back for another season, talking Twins with us here on uh, the all-new Score North. And I'm just going to give you two words to start off this season's conversation, Roy Smalley. Two words. Are you ready? Ready. Byron... Buxton,
3: <laughs> it's a paradigm shift if he's uh, if this is the breakout season. Uh, you like the lineup the way it is, uh, but uh, he has looked so solid, and it's only three games, but three uh, very good starting pitchers, and he has acquitted himself extremely well. And if this is the breakout year, then a really good lineup just makes a big paradigm shift to the to the good I'll, I'll tell you it's uh, it will be it will be a different a totally different as good as it is it'll be totally different if this is the real thing
2: what is the ceiling for this twins team if if byron Buxton if what we've seen in the first three days and, and through spring training, if that's the real byron Buxton for 2019
3: well if it's the real byron Buxton for 2019 then there it's only a matter of time before he's the the leadoff hitter right and and I don't know what Rocco's going to do but if, if he's it, there's always the, you know, gosh, the guy's tearing it up here. I don't want to change his mindset. You know, he's tearing up as ninth hitter. We're doing fine. You know, don't want to don't you know want to mess it up. On the other hand, you can imagine with uh, with with Byron getting an extra, you know, starting the game and then getting an extra at bat for sure. Um, it, it it just it, it makes everything uh, pretty exciting. As far as the, you know, the upside uh, for the twins, I mean, it, it, it probably, it's it still going to depend on pitching. And, and so you don't really know. But from an excitement standpoint, from a, from a over 500 standpoint, uh, you know, with this ball club and Byron being the way he, you know, having a whole season like he's starting out, I mean, you know, just, just that alone means, 84 85 victories probably and you know and and it just depends on how they pitch.
1: Roy how important is it too that Buxton part of his um, emergence and or or shift and change seems to be in an attitude that's gone from from I've got 15 people telling me things and I I'm, I'm listening to all of them to All of you, shut up! I'm going to do it my way because there seems to be a confidence bordering on arrogance about him right now that I absolutely love and think is essential to his uh, success here.
3: That's true, and it could be as uh, simple as that. It could be as simple as I'm going to have the attitude that brought me here. Right? I mean, from high school through the minor leagues, uh, he he had that uh, supreme uh, confidence. And it's like he has a chip on his shoulder right now, so the confidence has become a a, a bit of quiet arrogance. Which is, I agree with you, it's fantastic. I I I hope he plays with that with that chip the whole uh, the whole season and and the rest of his rest of his career. Um, I mean, we're not totally out of the woods yet. You know, we've we've seen spring training in three games, Uh, but um, I, I think that. Probably that attitude adjustment is the best thing that he he possibly uh, could have done, and um, it, it, there will but there will become time uh, this season when it's not working as well, and then the question becomes okay, what do you do at that point? Do you do you arrogant your way through it, or do you at some point in time do you really have to listen to somebody that uh, that might be? You know that might be uh, a bit helpful, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But if I had my choice of one or the other, I'd take the attitude over the uh, over the "somebody teach me how to hit" uh, uh, idea.
0: Uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami here on Score North. Roy Smalley is our guest on a weekly basis every Tuesday uh, afternoon, and, and, and it's just amazing when you look up and down just the the checklist of things that are different about this organization now compared to even just two or three years ago. You know, the people in place. Uh, they're putting an emphasis on velocity as as a pitching staff like never before. Bringing in college coaches to the major leagues, putting an emphasis on power and home runs in the lineup. Uh, you know, I'd I love for you just to speak to the evolution of the organization here and where they are now, even just compared to two or three years ago, Roy.
3: It's totally different, isn't it? Uh, so they're uh, they're very analytics uh, driven. I guess we knew that was going to happen with uh Derek Falvey and Thad Levine. I mean that's the way those guys um, those guys are uh You can see you know the power that they've brought in i, I think part it's partly because it, it, you know you you can you can score home run you can score runs faster by hitting the ball in the ballpark than you can by getting for having, having to get four or five singles anything uh singles and doubles before you get to three outs. Uh, you know, obviously, but but I think it's it's not just the fact they went out. Let's go find some power hitters. It, it, a lot of it just had to do with what was available, uh, and and I think w- one characteristic of, of this you know new regime uh, and different than the last two or three years is that um, they've really made uh, they've looked at who was out there and and I think made it pretty intelligent. Um, decisions uh, about uh, who they can get and what he might be worth to the team, both in in possible production and then what do I have to pay for it? And um, it, you know, it, it, I don't know that they necessarily would have uh, you know said, "Boy, we need another. Um, uh, we we absolutely have to have a power hitter at second base. So so we're going to go get uh, Jonathan Scope." If there had been a you know, 350 hitting uh, second baseman, didn't hit any home runs. They, they might have gone out, you know, that was available. They might have gone after him. So just as an example, I mean, Nelson Cruz is available, perfect fit. They desperately needed a big thumper DH. Uh, Jonathan Scope they're taking a chance on, but it's pretty good odds. Uh, the, signing Michael Pineda, uh, t- big chance, but pretty good odds and not a lot of money. So I think those are the kinds of things that have characterized You know what they've what they've done, and they haven't put themselves in a spot um, budget wise where they can't continue to do more. Whereas you know, you go out and you and you sign Bryce Harper, and then and then you're done for the next ten spending money for the next ten years. You know, I mean, so I think they I think they've had a plan. I think they've they're working the plan, and so far, it feels pretty good.
1: Roy, take us through uh, to what what you see from the. Approach in at-bats. Cruz, Gonzalez, Scope. Because as you watch those guys take at-bats, what's the level of quality, even if they make outs, that these guys bring as veteran guys who have a credibility at the plate?
3: Well, I think you've said it uh, right there. They're very professional uh, when they step in the batter's box. They, you know, Marwin Gonzalez hitting that double off a uh, Kluber, uh, to the opposite gap to uh, to win that game, uh, it was a, a fantastic at bat uh, i mean really really fantastic i can 't overstate it. Nelson Cruz goes that you know he 's going to hit home runs and drive in runs, but he doesn 't give it bats away you don 't see him um, you know swinging at a lot of bad balls early in counts i mean here 's a guy that you, if you 're going to hit forty home runs thirty thirty five forty home runs you 're going to strike out some but the reason you strike out is because maybe you foul a pitch back that you should have hit and then someone throws something really nasty and the, and there's a you know there's a strike out but but you don't get make you don't get yourself out you don't strike yourself out swinging at bad balls uh, or questionable pitches early in counts he stands up there and he knows where his home run pitches are and if they show up there he's going to put a home run swing on it and if they don't he's going to take it until he gets to two strikes and then do the best he can right that kind of professional approach Marvin Gonzalez, you know, has that, uh, and um, I think Scope has uh, the ability to get back to that's the way he was two years ago in Baltimore, and I, and I think uh, with Nelson Cruz in the lineup in front of him, and it, it, I think he feels pretty comfortable in this lineup as well. So that's gonna that's gonna rub off on guys, I, and I think um, Nelson Cruz, you know, will rub off on Rosario, will rub off on Polanco. Uh, Will uh, rub off on Sano when he gets back. I just, I, I just think that's a, that that's a key key point.
2: Talking with Roy Smalley of Fox Sports North here on Mackey and Judd with Rami, and he'll join us every Tuesday. Roy, in the lead up to this season, I felt like I was going crazy because everybody seems to see something in that Cleveland Indians team. That I just don't see. The starting pitching is undeniable, but the least generous projections that I saw leading up to the season had them winning 90 games, and I saw upwards of 94, 95 games projected for the Indians. And I'm looking at a team that won 90 last year, is in an improved division, and lost vital pieces in the offseason in that bullpen and, and up and down that order. I mean, outside of the rotation, you look at the order, you look at the bullpen, and there are a lot of question marks in Cleveland, and not a lot of great answers to those question marks. Am, am I crazy, or is everybody else who's projecting the Indians to be this super team?
3: No, I don't think you're crazy at all. I've you know, if if you are, I am. I said uh, some time ago, you know, during spring training, as we we're getting ready for to start the season that I thought Cleveland was really vulnerable. I looked at that lineup and I said what, well, you know, I mean, obviously with Lindor out that it puts that that really hurts. I mean, you you don't take Francisco Lindor out of the lineup and just say, well, the next guy is just going to step up until he's ready and 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 that's a big problem because he's hurt badly. I mean, he's got a high ankle sprain I think and and you know, you just don't know how those things are are going to go and that's a that's a big void, but that's one of the reasons why I I think Cleveland is is, is it, vulnerable. Uh, they have uh, an excellent starting staff, obviously, and, and pitching is so important. That's why everybody looks at that staff, looks at the emergence of Trevor Bauer, and says, holy cow, you, you know, Kluber, Bauer as good as Kluber <laughs> last year, Carrasco, Clevenger has been really good, and they've got this uh, uh, Bieber kid that uh, they're bringing along slowly. So you look at that and you say, Man, that's that's going to be tough to beat. And yet you are absolutely right that the the bullpen is not absolutely rock solid. A, a hand is a, is going to be fine as a as a closer, but you know, if they have trouble um you know with a starter, it will be lights out you know just getting to hand for sure. And even when Lindor comes back, um, it, it really, it, to me, unless something drastically changes with some of those guys, it's a question of don't let Lindor and Ramirez beat you, and then and then just go ahead and pitch to everybody else. I mean, they're big league hitters, but they're not the uh, you know they don't follow up with Brantley and Encarnacion and Yonder Alonso anymore. You know, they, they, those guys are are gone. They've got Carlos Santana back, but but that really is the only. Uh, the only uh, replacement for those other three guys I mentioned, and I think I think you're absolutely right. I I just don't think you replace those three guys that easily.
0: I mean, the the, the Indians really, Roy. Are, so I I think the Twins have a better outfield defense. I think the Twins maybe even have a better bullpen. Once you look at all the pieces the Indians lost, so the Indians are are truly banking on the gap between their starting rotation and the Twins' starting rotation. Being wide enough to make up for the Twins having a better lineup, better outfield defense, and maybe even a better bullpen, and I'm not sure that's the case either. So, maybe it felt like very few people were picking the Twins to win the division, but there was a lot of people saying, "Oh, the Twins could be sneaky wild card." I think their path to the, to the division might be easier than their path to the wild card.
3: Well, I think so too. I I I, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I think they uh, I, I think they can beat uh, Cleveland and and. Um, it, it, during the during the course of the season, and and so I will just you know again we have to play it out and and see how everybody performs, and you know coming out of spring training everybody's optimistic, every team's optimistic, and the way that uh, the way the club pitched in the first three games against Cleveland against admittedly uh, a softer Cleveland lineup was really encouraging, and so we've all got an awful lot of optimism here. Uh, it's a, it's a long way to go, and everybody's going to have to uh, uh, perform. But I will say this: there the big, the big there are two levels of if for this, you know, Twins club that are more positive ifs than you know than they have been for you know since 2010 almost. And 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 that are those, these are these are those levels. Uh, the veteran guys just have to be who they are. So Nelson Cruz. Marlon Gonzalez, Jonathan Scope, um, and I'll call Eddie Rosario a veteran now because he's proven it, uh, what he's capable of doing. Those four guys just have to not go in the tank. It, can't, it have to, can't turn out to be too late for Nelson Cruz and too late for Jonathan Scope at the end of their careers. You know, Those guys just have to be who they are. And then the second level is you know, Polanco, Buxton, Kepler. Um, do you take the next step? Uh, and become who we think they're going to be. If those two ifs happen, and I'll, then I'll throw in uh, in the veteran camp, I'll throw in uh, uh, Kyle Gibson. You know, just be who you be, be who you were last year. Jose Brios, you take the next step to be an ace. Those things happen. Um, man, they're, they'll win 90 some ball games.
1: Barrios is stuff too, Roy. And, and it looked like the change that that, that he uh, seemed to incorporate more on opening day than we saw a year ago was pretty impressive where is he in your mind in the steps to not necessarily just being the twins ace but now making that jump to let's say a top five to ten ace in baseball
3: oh i think top ten no question and he's he i think he's on the precipice of being top five um, it, a, a lot is going to have to do with it, a lot By, byron bucks a lot's going to have to do with attitude for him i think uh, and uh, if he continues to take the, that swagger out there and uh, understand, you know how good his stuff is. What I re- what I really liked about the uh, the game he pitched in, in the opener against Cleveland was he used his fastball a lot, and he used that changeup a lot. And you know the curveball is a wipeout pitch. There's no question about it. But he tended to fall in love with it uh, last year and not trust the fact that he's got a terrific fastball. And You know, opening the season against the Cleveland Indians, the defending division champs, and throwing as many changeups as he did, I thought that was fantastic, just fantastic. I mean, for him to develop that third pitch, and he threw them all in great locations. He didn't miss with one of them uh, in terms of it being down and in a good spot. So uh, that was really encouraging to me. And and if he has swagger with those three pitches, uh, I think he's top five. Yeah.
0: Well, if the Twins lose five games in a row, we're going to all sound like a bunch of clowns here, but that was great. That was great stuff. <laughs> Not me. And we're all pretty, yeah, Judd's more measured than Robbie and I. But that's, uh, that's awesome. Roy, we're looking forward to the season, and we'll see you at the ballpark soon, man. All right, see you guys. See all right, Roy Smalley from Fox Sports North. And tomorrow on the show, Jason Stark will make his debut around the same time here, around 420. If you're uh, listening live, Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North. We'll uh, circle back on a couple of Byron Buxton and other related things from our talk with Roy Smalley. We have to lay the AAF to rest later in the show. But let's talk about Federated Mutual Insurance Company, reminding all of us to drive safe. Staying rested and alert is the best way to ensure that fatigue doesn't become an issue behind the wheel. I can think of a few times in my life, one in particular, I remember... So when, when my dad moved from the twin cities to Phoenix, which is a 30 hour drive, I uh, volunteered to drive some things all the way down to him that we weren't able to take on a plane or had not I probably could have come up with a plan B, but there I was driving through Albuquerque, New Mexico at two o'clock in the morning, like 20 hours into this thing. I should not have been on the road. I wasn't self-aware enough. I didn't know that almost 800 people die in drowsy driving accidents on an annual basis and 90,000 crashes involve drowsy drivers on a yearly basis. So being alert and well-rested is, is you doing your part to help everyone make it home safe, whether it's yourself or other people on the road, federated insurance. It's our business to protect yours. Mackie and Jug with Rami.
3: Two strikes to Buxton drill to the left field corner. Hard off the wall. It'll score two. Buxton to second base with a two-run double. Three straight two-out hits. And Buxton's third double of the season came and, on a two-strike pitch.
0: And uh, Judge Zolgat looks like we have a twins lineup for tonight. That comes out,
1: that song comes out hot. Every
0: it time. does. <laughs> That's a <laughs> lot of
1: drum. I'm awake now. <laughs> twins lineup tonight against the Royals. Goes thusly. Kempler, Polanco, and Cruz, Rosario, Crone, and Gonzalez, Scope, Castro, and much to the chagrin of at least one of my co hosts, Rami Maklov, Byron Buxton hitting 400. It's still batting ninth.
0: You can't set a guy's batting average in the first three
1: games. Oh, though, I can don't you? care. I'm just trying to get under <laughs> Rami's skin. Oh, he's batting
0: 400.
1: No, 400. 400. Last guy to do it. Teddy ball game, 406,
0: 1941. <laughs> well, when you but, put, should Buxton sit out tonight to yep. preserve the 400 <laughs> batting average? When
2: you it's put it that way, then yeah, this is a travesty. No, I was I was kidding during the break. I'm still good with it right now, but I'm going to have a problem if we get a few weeks into this season and Byron Buxton is still batting 400 or somewhere near there. And if, the, But I, I refuse to believe that they will stubbornly keep him in the nine hole or at the yeah. bottom of the order because... Rocco Baldelli and the Twins as an organization, are they're the antithesis of that, of Ron Gardenhire, who would you know, pull a guy out of the lineup and his replacement would take his very spot in the lineup that day because he didn't want to move the other guys around and make them uncomfortable. <laughs> like We know now that that's a bunch of BS, and guys like Falvi and Levine and Baldelli know that that's a bunch of BS. And once we see that what we're seeing right now from Byron Buxton is real, and we're three, four weeks into the season and he's still doing this, they have to move him to the top of the order and I will lose my mind if they don't do that. Yeah. But I don't anticipate that happening because again, they're not those guys. Does it frustrate you
0: guys and you know, I know, you know, this is Rami's first season watching the twins here of uh, at, at Score North. And so this is your first time watching Buxton on a day by day basis. On one hand, I look at guys like Buxton and say, okay, You're in your mid-20s. A lot of dudes don't figure it out until they're 25, 26, 27 in the major leagues. Sometimes it just takes like 8 to 10 years of professional baseball before the light bulb goes on. Aaron Hicks was playing professional baseball as a minor leaguer and a major leaguer for 10 years before the light bulb really went off. And now he's injured, but now he's like 25 home run guy, gets on base. He's a starting caliber player for the New York Yankees, right? So on one hand, I want to be patient. You know, Byron. It's only been a thousand plate appearances, and in baseball, sometimes it takes more than that. But then on the other side, did you guys see the news today that Ronald Acuna just signed a one hundred million dollar eight year contract with the Atlanta Braves? The dude who's twenty one years old and in his rookie season last year as a twenty year old in Atlanta, hit two ninety three with a nine seventeen OPS, twenty six home runs and let me count them here, 56 extra base hits, 16 steals in just three-quarters of a season. That that guy comes up as a 20-year-old, the light bulb is already on, and now you get Ronald Acuna for the next eight years under contract if you're the Braves, and he's not even going to be close to out of his prime by the end of that deal, and they might even be vastly underpaying him by the end of that contract. Like, it just... Be patient over here but why couldn't Buxton's light bulb have gone off when he was 21,
1: 22 and he got called up for the first time? That's night? just baseball, right? Yeah. Like some, some guys get it and it it clicks and then the problem is so you see those players fans do and fans and us say, "Well, hold on a second. If he's do, doing that at 20 and you're not doing that at 24, 25, you're a bust." And in almost every other sport, that's probably absolutely correct, right? Like if you get if you get a basketball player Wiggins, if you get a hockey player or a football player, for the most part, to twenty five, right, and they still don't get it. They're not going to get it. Like it's very, it's very rare when a guy at twenty five in another sports. Like I get it now, but baseball—that's the problem because patience becomes so imperative and so important. And the the Hicks trade by the Twins is all the is all that you need to see really. To know that, okay, you gave up on him a tick before and now he's successful and you got back John Ryan Murphy who, last I checked, was mopping up pitching for the Diamondbacks.
2: It does seem like, though, more and more, and maybe this is just recency bias and I I don't remember this being the case in the past, but it seems like more and more in the last, I don't know, five, six years when, when, when Bryce Harper first came up to baseball and Chris Bryant wasn't far behind him that these these guys, the light turns on for them very early, and they make that transition from the minors to the majors really, really quickly. And Acuna is the, the latest to do it, but there's a long list of guys, like I said, over the last five or six years, who it seems like the light turns on for them almost instantly upon being drafted by the team that drafted him. I mean, Chris Bryant spent w- a little over one season in the minors. Mm-hmm. Bryce Harper, I don't think, even did that. There are guys across baseball yeah. right now who... That's their story. But like Judd said, even though we're seeing that more often now than we did in the past, don't let that throw off your gauge and and your barometer of of when a guy can can explode or or when the light can turn on for a guy. I wouldn't be discouraged that it hasn't happened for Byron Buxton yet. He's not the first, and he won't be the last that it won't turn on for them until this point in their careers or this age. How odd was Buxton, though, in, in this sense?
1: He hit everywhere until he he got here, and then he looked lost. But is it the norm for for a guy um, to not scuffle that badly until he gets to the bigs? Because it was weird. Eventually, sending him to AAA became useless because you knew he'd go down there and probably mash, right? So how odd is that track where you hit, you hit, you hit, you hit, you get to the big leagues, and then you don't not sort of hit, you look completely lost.
0: So it's actually not as rare as you would think, there's a lot of just lifer minor league players that, well, one of them actually being Rami's guy, uh, Tuffy Rhodes that we've talked about, you know, Tuffy Rhodes had 515 or something, five, 520 professional career home runs, Japan, minor leagues, et cetera. And he couldn't hit major league pitching outside of that one day, basically at Wrigley field. And sometimes it's a hole in your swing, Oswaldo Arcia, that's another great example. That so d- d- you know Orlando Arcia, yeah, from being in Milwaukee. Yeah, you know he had a brother Oswaldo Arcia. I did not. Still has. So that's amazing. Like I'm not ripping you. Still has a brother. Yeah. Okay. All right. So go. In fact, go look up Oswaldo Arcia. Go go to Baseball Reference, Oswaldo yeah, Arcia, right, so. and count. look at that dude's minor league stats with the Twins. So I. Covered the Twins in spring training and, and the Twins beat for three or four years. And saw a lot of batting practice home runs, a lot of game home runs. The most impressive home run outside of Jim Tomey hitting the top of the flagpole one time. At, there was probably three Jim Tomey home runs on a list. And I saw Oswaldo Arcia hit an opposite field home run in a minor league game on a side field in Bradenton when he was 20 years old. And Gardenhire was actually managing the Twins' B team that day, so he was watching this game. And he hit a home run that had to have been 450 feet opposite field, like over a batting practice shed in left field. (laughs) And if you look at it, so you look at his numbers and you would swear to God, 19, 20, 21 years old, carving up every level of the minor leagues. Yeah, this dude's going to be a middle of the order bat for a long time for the Twins. And I think he actually did maybe hit 20 home runs in a season for the Twins once. I think he did, yeah. Out of major, he's out of, I don't think he's with a minor league team now. I think he's out of baseball. Mexico. He's like 27 years old.
2: Mexico, I think. Yeah, his swing. last season was with the Padres in 2016. So, I mean, there's After there's a lot in, of dudes. Yeah, that's good one. Tampa Bay, Miami, San Diego. Yeah. There's a lot of dudes like that
0: that you would swear if you just looked at how old. Now, if you're a 29-year-old carving up AAA pitching, all right, well, there's a lot of guys who, once you get to a certain age. But if you're 19, 20, 21, you'd like to think that those numbers are going to translate eventually. And some guys just, they they can't lay off a major league slider or they can't catch up to a certain inside fastball.
2: What are some of RCS numbers? I'm trying to find his minor league numbers. I don't have a lot here. Oh. Can you just click oh, there on there we go. Show minors. That would help. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> let see. What are we looking at? Power numbers? You want Does power any, numbers? It average, everything. In 2012, uh, that was his best season power-wise. He had 17 home runs, 98 RBI. His batting average was 320 Dude. on base, 388. He slugged 539. He had an OPS of 928. Yeah. OPS of 928. And how old was he in 2012? Like twenty one? Twenty one years old. And that how was, does that uh, not how is an A ball and double, a season split between A ball and double A, 124 games. So the,
0: the the unanswerable question is how does that I'm not saying he has to hit 320 in the major leagues and hit 20 bombs, et cetera, but how does he not at least play in the major leagues for 10 years? Doing that in the minus? which is why it's we amazing. we
1: kept saying keep trying. And they finally said we're just done. And I, I think if I'm not mistaken, he was put on waivers, correct, and claimed by Tampa. And we went on on the old show and talked about it. And we're yeah.
2: like, that guy's going to hit 30 bombs. It never translated. And they called him up in 2013. That was right after that huge year. And he bounced back and forth between the majors and AAA in 2012, 20, or no, excuse me, in 2013. And 2014 until, yeah, they obviously, they put him on waivers and he ended up in Tampa Bay. And they and just bounced around. Then bounced you know. around, yeah. yeah.
0: I remember declaring, this is the next David Ortiz mistake by the Twins when they yeah. when they just I was on the cut, air with they you. cut bait with him. And I still stand by it. He's going to make a resurgence <laughs> in his 30s. He's going to hit a bunch of home runs for you know the Oakland Athletics no, in, the in 2027. He's going to hit 60 home runs
1: <laughs> at the uh, Saints ballpark. That's exactly what gonna Beach he's going to yeah, CHS Field, he's going to tear it up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I don't think Byron Buxton is Oswaldo Arcia. I think, and Byron Buxton also, the, the part of the problem with Arcia is he basically had a ping pong paddle for a glove. Like he couldn't, he wasn't fast. He couldn't judge a fly ball. He had an arm. But he didn't really have a position. You just kinda of put him in right field and pray that nobody hit the ball
2: there. Yeah. His brother is an amazing fielder, like a magician with a baseball glove, but can't can't find the ball with the reason. So some if you reason. could kind of combine the two. Yeah, if you a could bit. combine the
1: two <laughs> Arceas. Just put them together. So if, if you guys could go to Buxton. Oswando. If you guys could go <laughs> If you could go to Buxton right now and take the Acuna deal that he got today as the parameters for a Buxton deal, n- knowing what we know four games in, three games in, would you do it? So you know, it's, it's an eight-year contract worth,
0: what's the average on that? It's $100 million, so tw- what, tw- like $12 million a year, mm-hmm. something like that? Yeah. And he would be ordinarily getting $500,000 a year for the first three, so sure. and I'm sure it's staggered. If you would have asked me two weeks ago, I would have said, uh, $100 over eight years is a little aggressive. You changed but if your you, mind over two weeks. But if you asked me after talking, watching him lace a double off Corey Kluber, I'm like, okay, I'll give him the $100 million. We're talking <laughs>
2: tens of millions of dollars, and Phil changed his mind in the matter of two weeks. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you would have and asked three me. Three actual games that have been played. For some reason,
0: him standing on second base, thumping his chest after punking Corey Kluber off the left field wall makes me like, oh, I'll give you the $100 million. Okay. Because put, put, think about it this way, I'm going to nerd out on you guys real quick here. Uh, wins above replacement is a common measurement behind yeah. the scenes with front offices, yeah. right? And so what, like Fangraphs.com has done is they've taken all the money spent on players across the league, and they've kind of they've they've basically said based on how many wins above replacement you are, Mike Trout, etc., here's how much money you should make. So the average win above replacement, quote unquote, in major league baseball is eight million dollars. So if you if you're a if you're a one war player, you're worth eight million dollars. If you're Mike Trout and you're For a
2: season or career? For a season. Okay.
0: If you're Mike Trout and you're an eight win player or a ten win player, you're actually worth like between fifty and eighty million dollars. But obviously the market hasn't quite adjusted to that uh same premise. So right. So you you could argue that if Byron Buxton can turn into a five or a six wins above replacement player, which that's probably his. That if he reached his upside, he'd be at least that. That he'd be worth maybe thirty or forty million dollars by the time he hits free agency. So you if you could get him for twelve million instead of thirty or forty million, then you'd say yes to that. But so yes, the answer is he. He could be underpaid at some point, Acuna or Byron Buxton. And with the extensions the that
2: were handed out this offseason, I wouldn't be surprised if they approached him about something and the two sides just couldn't come to an agreement. And I don't yeah. blame Byron Buxton if if that is the case. We don't know that that's the case. Pure speculation on my point. But if that was the case, I wouldn't blame Buxton for, for saying, you know what? I'll hold off. I'll, I'll go ahead and gamble on myself for a season or two, and then we can talk about this. So what an amazing life circumstance where someone can offer you
0: $100 million, and you can be like,
3: eh,
2: I think I'm better than that. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Man. Uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North, scorenorth.com, S-K-O-R North, if you want to follow us on any of our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch, they're all at scorenorth. Let's lay a league to rest when we come back, gentlemen. Rest in peace.
1: At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic the home depot how doers get more done